Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. All right, today we're going to talk about boredom. I had a recent discussion about this over um, during a live chat over on my Patreon page. And it also comes up when I teach sometimes, and it came up recently when I was teaching a hidden potential workshop. People say, what happens if my dog gets bored? Or their dog checks out from training and they, they blame it on boredom. Or they say that their dog can't tolerate repetition things like that. And I want to just flip the script on that a little bit and examine what boredom might actually be um, as a as a functional kind of piece of a behaving animal or behaving world. I am going to argue that boredom is not this state that we think of when we think of a human being bored. When we're bored, we think we're not stimulated, right? Like we think this isn't interesting to me and I'm understimulated and I don't want to do it anymore. And that's true, but also the larger umbrella that all of that falls under is simply a lack of adequate positive reinforcement for the behaviors um, at hand. So I'm going to argue that if there's adequate positive reinforcement, boredom, does not exist. So if the reinforcement is adequate, then boredom will not be there in the same space. And to make this really clear and really drive home my point, I'm going to use an analogy that I've used before in teaching. So if you've heard this before, you've probably um, heard me lecture on it, or maybe you were a part of that live chat on Patreon. But if I were working in a call center, so if I'm in a cubicle answering the phone for money, understand that's basically my nightmare, okay? And would I be bored? Yeah, you could call it that. Um, Would I be anxious because I have to answer the phone? That also might be part of it. But if I'm in a call center and I make $1,000 every single time I answer the phone, now boredom doesn't exist there. Understimulation doesn't exist there. Now I'm excited to answer that phone because I get $1,000 every single time I do it. And also, let's say that um, I make $5,000 every single time I make a sale. So a thousand bucks just for answering the phone and now $5,000 for making the sale. Now I'm truly motivated to keep answering that phone and truly motivated to do the behavior that you're interested in, which is making the sale. And that, I'm going to tell you, that's about what it would take because I would be completely maddened by that kind of situation. And our dogs feel that way, I think, sometimes about training, that we're just not paying them enough for what we're asking them to do, period. And that doesn't, you know, paying them enough doesn't necessarily mean paying them better. Sometimes it's paying them more. Um, And sometimes it is paying them better. 
So if your dog hates repetition or gets bored easily, I want you to think of it like this. Think of the dog as simply an underpaid team member. Think about how you can pay him adequately to show up for the work that you require of him. And understand that temperament and past experiences are going to lead the dog to either be prone to you know, requiring heavier pay or not. And I'm gonna argue that um, just like people, when the dog is made desperate for the paycheck, they are easier to exploit. So what that means is that if your dog feels as though the toy that you're gonna use for training or the food that you're gonna use for training is life or death, that they are starved for that particular item in their life, maybe you don't feed them other than in training, maybe they are on prednisone for a medical condition and so they're, they literally think they're starving, um, or maybe you've made them into a complete toy addict because people do this, especially in my sport of dog agility. Um, people take puppies that kind of have been bred to have an addiction to the toy and then they foster that addiction and then they make the dog work for it. And when all of this is happening, when you have desperation on the table, you have a dog that's easy to exploit. You have a dog that will answer that phone 20 million times just to get the ball once. And I'm going to argue that that's not how I like to train. Now, I also don't want to have to pay my worker $1,000 a phone call. So there's a happy medium that can be achieved here. But if you're asking your dog to do something that is mentally extremely difficult for them, a um, good example would be a dog that is afraid of other dogs or you know, uncomfortable around other dogs being asked to do anything at a dog show. Okay, that would be one example. Um, or perhaps it is physically difficult for them, like you're asking a bull terrier to do agility or a basset hound to do agility. Um, know that that's, again, more me in the call center because I hate answering the phone. I have a strong kind of visceral response to it. I don't, I don't like doing it. So because of that, it's a mentally challenging thing for me. Because of my physical issues, sitting in a desk is also is physically extremely challenging for me. So you have to pay me a lot. Okay, so this is your dog who is maybe afraid of other dogs and then you ask them to perform at a dog show or afraid of a stranger and then there's a judge in the ring. Um, or you have a dog for whom what you're asking them to do is physically extremely challenging. Like I said, the bull terrier, the basset hound doing agility. You need to pay them more. It's not about them being bored. It's not about them, quote unquote, not liking repetition. There's nothing to dislike about doing something easy and getting paid well for it. Um, if it were responding to text messages and I got paid $1,000 each text, I would not grow tired of that. I would just keep doing it because I'm making a thousand bucks each time and it's easy for me to do. It doesn't involve the anxiety of answering the phone and it's physically I can do it while standing, um, while on a yoga mat. And so it's easy for me now, right? You probably wouldn't have to pay me a thousand, maybe 500, okay? Because I still um, 
<laughs> just don't like interacting with anyone. Um, that's not entirely true, but you get what I'm saying. Um, understand that you have to look at the dog that you have and say, am I simply not paying you enough for what I'm asking you to do? And that's why I think you're bored. That's why I think you're checking out. Um, or am I exploiting you? Are you desperate for my reinforcers? And should I actually re-examine that? So give those things some thought. And now I'm going to answer a few Patreon questions. And I go over it at the end of the episode, but if you're confused about Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash cogdogradio and you can sign up and be a member and support the podcast. So my first question is from Noah. She says, on agility start line stays, thoughts about a dog that sometimes downs while waiting after was left in the sit position. So would you leave a dog who does that in a down instead? Um, she's thinking of it as a buffer, but she wants to find out if she's wrong. So basically the dog is left in a sit, you lead out and the dog lies down. Um, would we leave the dog in the down to begin with? Well, I would say you need to decide if this is all fine with you. It, to me, if the dog lies down and they're not pulling the first bar and they're not breaking their start line, I'm going to say, whatever kid, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. So nothing is a problem unless it's a problem, basically. Is a dog not actually doing what you asked? Yes. So on kind of that fundamental level, I would worry that it would bleed into some behaviors that I that I care about. Like if I leave my dog in a sit-stay to do the recall the drop or the drop-on recall exercise in obedience, the dog needs to not lie down as I'm walking away. So I wouldn't want it to bleed over into that and it will. Whereas if that's not a problem for you and the down really is not a problem for you, then it's not a problem for you and I wouldn't worry about it. But I would examine a little bit, you know, what what's going on with this dog? Is the dog concerned about the stuff behind? Can we maybe add a start button behavior for the lead out itself? So you have the start button for starting the game, but can the dog offer some kind of behavior that tells you you're okay to lead out? That's a little bit of a complex uh you know, piece of advice, but it's all, you know, covered in my online courses. So I would, you know, consider getting into some of those if that was confusing for you. But generally, if you teach them a behavior that says, yes, mommy, you can lead out now, then you could put that in there and you could know that that down that's happening isn't about nerves or stress. It's just kind of happening. And I'm guessing this is about a border collie and border collies, um, as they're watching motion and they're getting intense, they want to get low and they want to get lower to the ground. So it's possible that that's all it's about and that it's not a big deal. So again, just kind of, and I say this all the time, if it's not a problem, then it's not a problem, but you have to decide if it is a problem. And if it is, the answer is training. So the answer is to train the dog a more solid sit stay. Um, and I like to train my dogs to switch positions when they're on the line on cue. So if I lead out, I want to be able to ask for a down or a stand or a sit, no matter what I left them in. Um, and that tells me that the dog's headspace is appropriate for actually running the course. So that might be something else to try. 
So next we've got um, a question from Bridget who says, what is the best way to help a young dog that is scared of other dogs barking at her? I have a 10 month old border collie that loves other dogs, but if there's a dog in a yard or car that barks at her while we are walking, she will try to run and gets very scared. She cannot eat until we're far enough away that it is out of earshot. She seems to recover soon after, but I'm afraid of her becoming reactive as she is now a teenager. So your fears are well-founded. Um, Every time I walk my dogs in suburbia, which I honestly don't do unless I have to, um, I'm amazed that any dogs who are raised in that kind of environment are non-reactive. Because what you're talking about, these dogs that are barking at her from a car, from a yard, etc. I experience that every single time I go walk my dogs in suburbia is somebody's dog is accosting my dogs, generally speaking. Hopefully they're behind a fence or in a car, but sometimes they're not. And when they are fragile and your 10 month old is fragile, this is a fragile age and that's why she's telling you that she is scared. Your best bet is to avoid those situations. And if you run into the situation anyway, you need to help her exit if that's what she's trying to do. If she wants to just look at it, and process it allow her to do that but you're saying she will get very scared and that she won't eat and you're not telling me specifics about what scared looks like but usually fear means escape and avoidance behaviors are in play usually it doesn't mean frozen if the dog is frozen and looking you need to let the dog keep looking until she chooses to dismiss the trigger on her own as long as she's safe, right? So as long as everybody's safe. That's not something I would do if this dog is actually gonna be able to get to her or if she's gonna be able to get to it. But let's say the dog's behind the fence or in a car and she wants to stare at it, let her stare at it. Who cares? When she dismisses it, you can move on. But it probably, that's not what's happening. Probably it's escape avoidance. Anytime the dog goes into escape avoidance, you guys, your only option the only option you have is to facilitate their escape. To say, you're right, that is scary, let's get out of here, okay? And that is not the learning experience that I want my young dogs to have. What I want them to have is, oh, dog is barking, that's fine, I can handle that, and then keep walking. Food, in this case, in either case, not really that helpful. Trying to feed them, not the smartest move, because Number one, your dog's not eating anyway until she's far away. So you're just kind of bothering her with the food. You're not improving her feelings about anything with the food if she won't eat it. Um, and then for the dog that chooses to dismiss, so looks at it, maybe is alarmed by it, but then chooses to shrug it off and move forward, I wouldn't feed that dog either. I would just say, oh, you're so smart, good job, and keep walking so that the most salient reinforcer there was the fact that the dog felt better. They got relief from the scenario. That's how I like to operate. But generally speaking, if you cannot avoid those triggers right now when you're walking in the neighborhood, don't walk in the neighborhood. Go walk somewhere else. And then make a plan. Don't do that for longer than two months. Dog is 10 months of age. Maybe for two months you don't walk in the neighborhood. Maybe. But make a plan for getting back out there. Um, and I would do that by saying, okay, here's where I know the barking dogs are, and here's where I can stay far enough away that my puppy can observe that dog until my, until my puppy decides that she is safe, and then we're going to keep, keep moving on. Um, I call this look and learn, and it's covered pretty extensively in Puppy Elementary, which is a program that I ran last year, um, kind of 
documenting Watson's growing up period, and it's still available for purchase. You can get all the material, and that's on my website um, under Learn with Sarah. Just click Puppy Elementary. But generally speaking, if they are afraid, if they're already trying to escape and avoid, you are no longer in learning phase. You are in just allow them to escape phase. Um, and it sounds like it's really important to her. It sounds like she's really pretty upset if she's not eating until it's out of earshot. So I would be not putting her in that situation personally. And then when you do ease back in, see if you can borrow some friends dogs who are really confident to go with her to show her that she's going to be safe. Um, I use older dogs all the time to help younger dogs understand what's safe and what's not. All right, last one is from Laurel. Laurel says, I've worked hard on Rory's ring stress and he's entering the ring and starting eagerly now. Um, I'm using a readiness routine outside the ring and start button at start line. He does great until we get to the dog walk. Sometimes he does it, other times he stops dead and gives a very clear no backing away from it. It's the same dog walk he trains on in class with no issues now. When he started training at a different barn, the second time he was on it at full height, he fell off and it took a long time and patience to get him doing it again. He's eager at home and class on the dog walk. So if he says no, we don't do it, but I'm just not sure how to deal with it in a trial and how to fix his avoidance of it. Any thoughts on this? Thanks. Laurel, I'm sorry that I'm really happy that Rory has made so many huge strides forward with his ring stress, but this dog walk issue is a real issue because he had a legitimate trauma. So um, his other stuff to do with the ring didn't have to do with what I would call kind of legitimate trauma. It was just kind of like, mm, I don't know if I want to be out here. And as soon as you gave him choices, you started to see that improve. With the dog walk, the first question I would have is, did you use a choice-based procedure to get him back on it or not? And if you did, how did he tell you he was ready for the next repetition? Because probably my, just basically my hunch and my general thought on this is that you're telling me he's eager at home and in class and I bet that he's eager to have his reinforcers, which he knows are on you, and so he's willing there to do the thing to get the reinforcers. But as soon as he knows it's a trial and there's no money in the ring, he's not doing it because he's actually still uncomfortable. So I would say that your whatever you did to help him do the dog walk again was incomplete. It needs more choice worked into it. And it can't just be that he does it. It has to be that he is dragging you to it, desperate to get on it or you're probably not gonna get it back in the ring. So something that I've done in the past to teach dogs um, that a certain piece of equipment was a good thing, after I made sure that I had addressed their fear of it with a choice-based procedure, so something like, um, something like a true start button for just the dog walk, um, something like that. It's a little more in depth than that, um, and sorry, I'm kind of stumbling on my words here because I don't want to take 30 minutes to outline a full plan for how I would fix it. I just want you to make sure that it has to be a choice-based procedure. It can't have any lures happening. And I would actually not have the reinforcers on you at all. I would have them away from the dog walk with the dog understanding that he gets to go to the stash of reinforcers if he does the dog walk. But, 
um, basically go back through and repair that. And once you see, once you do see, you know, eagerness and pushing forward and, you know, dragging you to the dog walk really excited, then, you know, then you can start to allow him to make the choice to go to the dog walk to get reinforcers during kind of other training sessions. So I did this with the table with a couple of clients. Dogs became avoidant of the table because people get weird on the table. They start saying down, 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 sit, and they do weird things with their hands. <laughs> and dogs don't, dogs don't like it and they learn to avoid the table. Um, and I basically taught a few dogs that the table is where they get reinforced on course. So anytime the person wanted to reinforce the dog on the course, they went to the table and the dog got on the table and they paid them. It wouldn't be as simple with the dog walk because Rory would need to do the entire dog walk in order to get paid. But essentially it would be, and I would do simple behaviors first. So, you know, you can do sit, click, cookie, down, click, cookie, etc. It's sit, tell the dog to walk it cookie down tell the dog to walk it cookie spin tell the dog to walk it cookie that kind of thing so that the dog um starts to understand the cue for taking the dog walk as kind of a marker signal in and of itself so that's just that's one thing to try and i would back up to the beginning of this episode when i talked about adequate payment for the job um, that's, that's kind of the key issue is that he knows there will not be adequate payment for the job as far as he's concerned in the trial, because he'll just be expected to finish the course after the dog walk. And then he finally gets a payoff. See how hard the dog walk is for him to do and understand that you've got to pay really, really handsomely for it. You can never do it and just give one cookie in the contact position and move on. That's not going to be good enough. And then when he does actually do it in a trial, you need to immediately leave and give him a jackpot, whether that was a clean run on the line or not, so that you can start to drive home the fact that you recognize this is hard for him and you will pay him handsomely for it. So Laurel, I hope that helped you out. And I really appreciate everybody's Patreon questions. And I appreciate um, just getting to talk about this topic. But if you are still kind of wondering about it, because I basically just said boredom doesn't exist, <laughs> you can talk about it on Patreon or you can talk about it over on the CogDog Radio Facebook page. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe in the podcast app of your choice. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, being a part of the CogDoc Radio community, and getting access to all kinds of extras, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio to become a patron. <laughs>